Hello folks, I'm Joe Van Hoogen, and this is The Bread of Life, a radio ministry of the International Mission Church Partnership Evangelism and its associate fellowship, The Bread of Life in Boise, Idaho. Our ministry is going forward to countries around the world. To learn more, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Jesus is coming again, and we should be projecting our lives towards that day. We don't always do so, though, for a number of reasons. But this last portion of our message touches upon the most serious reason why we don't. Let's listen in and hear what the Spirit might say to us today. There's another reason why we don't anticipate the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's because we're often found to be lovers of this world instead of lovers of God. When you love this world, when you're committed to the pursuit of your own carnal self-interest, that is in complete opposition to the love of God. And so in verse 3, it talks about these individuals who are scoffers. It says they walk according to their own lust. The very reason they put that off and it's not a point of anticipation, but they even deny its reality is because it frees them up to pursue their own, the true love of their life, the lust that they have after this world. And when Paul speaks of these things, of the love of God, he says this in 1 Corinthians 16, 22. He says, if anyone does not love the Lord Jesus, let him be accursed. And then Paul says this, O Lord, come. If a person doesn't love the Lord Jesus, let him be accursed. And then Paul gives expression to the, you might say the end point or the longing point of the person who does love the Lord Jesus. O Lord, come. Those who love the Lord Jesus long for his coming. Those who don't, don't. The truth is that there are many Many in churches who are less interested in the ultimate triumph of Christ than they are in maintaining their own comforts and pursuing their own dreams. They don't want rescue from this age because they feel at home in it. They don't want the destruction of this world because instead they want to flourish in it. They don't want Christ's kingdom because in essence they want their own. They want their own. Said in different ways and some of these things I kind of understand. I probably said the same thing at some point in time in my life but I'm not dismissing it. I'm not dismissing it as if it wasn't selfishness and sin. I just want to get married first. Right? I just want to, I want to start a career first. I just want to fulfill some of my dreams first. I just want to have children first. I just want to have some grandkids first. I just want to climb the corporate ladder first. I just want to retire and enjoy my pension first. Whatever the real issue is, I love these things more than I love the Lord Jesus. They're first to me. He's not first to me. If you do love the Lord Jesus, then verse 13 will come in contact and touch what is the inner pulsation of your heart. Nevertheless, in spite of all the bad might be coming, in spite of all the judgments that might be coming on this world, in spite of what God might tear down and the system that we've somehow navigated our way through and even found some benefits in, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's what we long for. That's what we're looking for. Let me give to you now two negative reasons why we should be eager for the Lord's return. Two negative reasons why we should be eager for the Lord's return. Here's one of them. Until Christ returns, all of creation will be subject to the bondage of sin. The Word of God teaches us that the whole of creation has been subjected to a kind of chaos because of the fall. 
Paul actually, in Romans chapter 8, takes all of creation and speaks of it in a personified way. He almost gives it a human personality and speaks about its great longing and the great longing of all creation because it's been subject to corruption because of the fall and sin of men. And I'll just say this too, by the way. Knowing that when Christ comes, he's going to bring back a renewal and a replenish of the fallenness and the brokenness and the chaos of creation. The ultimate environmentalist longs for the return of Jesus Christ. He writes here in verse 19, For the earnest expectation of creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption, that's the corruption of sin, into the glorious liberty of the children of God. When God comes to rescue us, he's rescuing all of his creation as well. For we know the whole of creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. That cosmic expression of all this cosmic flashing forth that comes in the final day of the Lord is all of creation longing to see God bring forth his final redemption and its deliverance along with our deliverance. Here's another reason why, another negative reason why to long for Christ's return. And that's this, human beings will continue to suffer sorrows and injustices until Christ returns. If the great beat of your heart is for justice, to come to the oppressed, uh, while you seek and try to live out a life of mercy and kindness that Jesus had for the alien and the orphan and the weak and the distressed, if that's your great longing, if that kind of touches your heart and moves you, and, then you should be praying for his coming above everything else. That event alone will bring to an end the historical tide of evil and oppression in one final jarring halt. If your heart breaks over the persecution of Christians across the globe, if your heart yearns for equality, if your heart breaks over the poor treatment of women and children and misery, if your heart wishes to see vanquish the disease and the suffering and the starvation that mankind knows around the world, and you want to lift the hand of that oppressive experience, above all things you should pray for the Lord Jesus Christ to come, because His coming will bring to an end the last lash that has been laid by one man upon another man. The last indignity and suffering that comes upon a world as other men try to access their suffering to line their pockets. It'll come to an end. It will collapse. And Jesus will reign in perfect righteousness and restore men to his blessings and his benefit. Let me give you now two positive reasons why we should be eager for the Lord's return. Just two. There's many more on both sides, negative and positive, but let me give you two. And the first one is simply this. In the moment that Lord Jesus returns, we are going to be wed to him. Did you know that? If you've given your life to Jesus and asked him to come your life and your Savior, you've been forgiven of all your sins. He lives in you and he abides in you and he's given his spirit to you and you've been covered in his righteousness and he secured a place for you in heaven. But you are in this present hour, in essence, betrothed to him. But there's coming a day when you're going to be wed to him. There's a coming a day in which he's going to receive you to himself. When Jesus says in John 14, verses 1 through 3, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. He's using the language of a groom who goes to his father's house and prepares a special room for his bride. And when it's all prepared, he goes and he brings his bride into that place. And Jesus is saying, I- I'm coming back for you. I'm going to take you into the home I'm preparing for you as my bride with all of its comforts and all of its security, with all of its wealth poured out upon you. The great lover of our souls is coming for us. 
In Genesis chapter 24, there's the story of Abraham sending his servant to find a bride for his son Isaac. In verse 53, Rebekah promises or decides that she'll go with the servant and become Isaac's bride. And at that time, we read this. Then the servant brought out jewelry of silver and jewelry of gold and clothing and gave it to Rebekah. Here are some trinkets for you before you go to your bridegroom. And he receives you as his bride. And if you've given your life to the Lord Jesus, then you know God has blessed you. He's given you out of the fullness of his life, his Holy Spirit. He's poured upon you and adorned you with jewels of his favor. And grace upon grace of his goodness has come upon your life. But all these are in lieu of greater gifts that are yet prepared for us at the wedding feast. That he's going to pour out upon us, effusively upon us. What a wonderful image, what a wonderful picture, and oh, you ought to long for it. If you love the Lord Jesus, you do. You long for that. Here's a second reason, positive reason. At that time, we will be saved to the uttermost. Our salvation shall be completed altogether. It will be, it has only begun just now. Did you know that? Your salvation, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ and trusted in Him, what a glorious day that was. When God led you to see your sin and to repent of your sin and to see your need of Him and to recognize you couldn't save yourself by your own good works or by your own self-righteous efforts, but that He'd accomplish it all for you, living a sinless life and yet dying in your place on the cross as the punishment on your behalf. And when you believed in Him, He forgave you and He cleansed you and He clothed you in His own righteousness. When the Lord Jesus comes, you'll not only be rescued from the penalty of sin. And by the way, God has saved me from that great penalty. But what God has been doing in my life since then is day by day as I trust in Him and I live in His sanctifying power, He's rescued me from the power of sin. But when the Lord Jesus comes, He's not only going to rescue me from the penalty of sin and He's not only going to rescue me from the power of sin, but you know the phrase if you've heard it before or listened and you've been around in the church for any period of time, He's going to save us from the presence of sin. <laughs> Gone. All the heartache and grief of evil will be eradicated and removed entirely. We shall not only be saved from sin, but we shall be saved in that moment fully, not from sin, but to God in every way. That day, the dark glass that clouds our understanding will be completely shattered. We'll see Him as He is. The things that we've not known will know, even as we're known. And that day, in that moment, the last remnants of flesh that undermine and betray our longing and desire to be like Jesus will be put off completely and we'll be given glorified bodies and we'll be like him. We'll be like him. We'll be liberated from all these things in order that we might exercise ourselves in the full power of our minds and our abilities and our talents to the fullest measure as God purposed them when he made us. He's designed us for something more, far more than we've yet to realize. And that day will bring it about. You should long for his coming because in that moment you'll be saved to the uttermost. To the uttermost. We're waiting for the one who's loved us with an everlasting love and has sought to draw us with his loving kindness. And one who's preparing a place for us that where he is there we may be also. And one who has adorned us with salvation, expressions of his great salvation, but wants to lavish that salvation upon us unendingly without any retreat back from it. A progressive, eternal unfolding of the glory of His great work on our behalf and of His greatness before us. We're longing for Him to come.
We're waiting for his coming. After I got engaged, my wife and I had a long-distance relationship, and then we had a one-year-long engagement period. And I used to visit her periodically before we were engaged, but after we got engaged, I kept finding ways to get excuses to drive over to Portland, Oregon, where she lived, to visit her. And um, Certain times, I never knew when I was going to get out of school or get off job, and I'd head out that way. And it wasn't like you had cell phones in the day, so you'd give them an update and tell them when you were coming, right? They just knew you were coming on that day. I wouldn't even call because I couldn't afford to call. AT&T, Ma Bell took a big piece of change out of you. My parents probably didn't let me use the phone to make a long-distance phone call. <laughs> but I would eventually arrive at her house because she knew on some certain day I'd told her a letter I would be coming. And she had a, a home that looked down upon the street, and there was a big picture window there. And when I would drive up in the car, and it was a street where there were other cars that would pass by, but each time I'd come, as I drove up in the car, she would pop up in that window, smiling and jumping up and down. And so I'd get, I said, well, how many times did you go to that window today? Oh, a lot of times. A lot of times she went to that window. I said, well, didn't you, didn't you get tired of going? I mean, at some point in time, why didn't you just stop? Because... You know, a lot of cars come by there. Oh, no, I, I knew that one of the times it would be you. One of these times, it will be him. It will be him. We live loving him for that event, longing for that person to come in that day. And as we wait, we're faithful. We want to be holy. We want to be preparing ourselves to meet him. We're watchful over our lives and the duties that he's called us to. Let's bow our heads. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Church in Boise, Idaho. To learn more, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.